Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. So let me just ask a question. How many, how many of you were in the military, in the service? Would you just raise your hand? Okay, we, we're very grateful for your service. Thank you. Do you remember what it was like after you were inducted? The first place you went was basic training and how difficult that was, how hard that was, the exercising, the running, the carrying the equipment, the shooting, the, the hand-to-hand combat, the, the lack of sleep, the yelling, the screaming at you, the humiliation, the learning to obey, to follow orders. Maybe, maybe you weren't in the military, but, but you were inducted on a team. You went through, through a training camp on a football team, or you went through band camp which I heard is the worst of the worst, and uh, something like that. And just the, the whole idea of all those programs of getting ready, as Dan mentioned, preseason with the National Football League or basic training in the military or, or going to the Naval Academy or the Air Force Academy or some other school and going through that training time or, or band camp. It's all about getting ready to fight. It's about getting ready to do battle. Now, in football, you're not actually trying to kill anybody or destroy anybody, but you want to beat the other team. In band, you don't want to beat up the other team from the other school with your tuba or things like that. That would be funny. But uh, (laughs) can you just imagine that? Anyway, that's that's not what's going on. But you do want to do the best that you can do to win the competition to play your songs and to do your routine with excellence. If you're in the military, whether it's the Navy or whatever branch of the service, the Army, the Marines, whatever it might be, you want to prepare because you're going to be in battle. And if you're in battle, the better prepared army, the better prepared force will overcome. The better led military group will win on the battlefield. And unfortunately, because of the nature of human nature that we're so sinful, that we can't just talk things out and negotiate, we often have to take guns and bombs and bullets and fight against those that demand and try to take our freedom and try to oppress and control and dominate and terrorize other people. We understand that government has that responsibility. What's very interesting is as we read in the book of Ephesians, the New Testament letter of Ephesians, that the Apostle Paul, as he's been writing to this group of Christians in the first century, just 20, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he's challenging them about their identity, who they really are in Christ. We've been asking the question all this year about who am I? And it's not that we've got some kind of amnesia. It's not that we're confused or lost. We're just simply asking, there's got to be something more to my life than just occupying space here on this earth, this footprint, breathing this air, going and working this job. There's got to be something more to my life. What's my identity in Christ? Who am I? Because all of life flows out of your understanding of who you are. 
So we've been looking at the book of Ephesians as a template to help us understand what is our identity. And we've seen that we belong to Christ and we're His children and we belong to His family and He's conquered our spiritual enemies and He's elevated us to the highest places in a relationship with Him. And we've seen that we're gifted with spiritual gifts and we've been given a calling to go serve Him and we're new people in Christ. And, and that means we even change the way we live our family lives and how we do our jobs and all of those things. But what's fascinating to me is that when you're going through the book of Ephesians, you get to verse 10 of chapter 6, and it's like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. It's like there's a detour, and he goes off the path, and right away he starts talking about you're in the army now. You can do the next slide, Frank. You're in Christ's army now. And believe it or not, your identity as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, is you're a soldier. You're a soldier in Christ's royal army. You are a soldier in His royal combat legion. And you and I have a responsibility to fight for what is right. To fight for the advancement of His kingdom. To fight against temptation. To fight against sin. To fight against um, the, the spread of wickedness. We are to fight to advance the Gospel and to help more and more people meet Jesus Christ and find Him. We're to fight to help the widows and fight to help the orphans and fight to do what is right for the honor and glory of God. We pray, some of us every day, Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a fight. And you and I need to understand that we're called to be soldiers in the army of Christ. Now, maybe you're not buying this. I get that. That's okay. You thought maybe you had a little too much vacation, Pastor. You know, are you sure you're really telling us the truth? Well, let's just think about this for a minute. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, this is on page 979. I encourage you to take a look here. 979, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. You'll notice just right away in verse, six, verse 9, he's saying, talking about the relationship of servants to masters and their employment and what they do. And then right in verse 10, he just jumps right in. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is telling us that we need to prepare for battle by putting on God's power. We're going to focus on verses 10 through 13 and then come back next week and look at each of the pieces of the armor. And then the last week that we're together before the start of the new church year, we're going to be looking at the fact that our most important battle is in the battle of prayer. How do we pray and how does God work through our prayers? It's the greatest offensive weapon that we have to advance the kingdom of God. So as we explore this this morning, I want us to focus on verses 10 through 13 and look at this idea of preparing for battle by putting on God's power. Now, if you're a Christian, following Christ means that you join His army. There's no arguing that. If you are following Christ, then you are already a member of His army. The question is, have you put on his power? Are you preparing for battle? Or are you away without leave, AWOL? Have you run away? Are you a deserter? Are you there ready to fight? Are you there ready to prepare for battle? Ready to learn the plan? Ready to engage the enemy? Are you there or not? You might be thinking, well, I was never in the Army or Navy or Marines or anything like that. I don't know anything about military strategy. Demons and devils and all that kind of stuff. That scares me. I don't want anything to do with that. But the fact of the matter is, is you don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. We are at war and Jesus Christ is sounding out and crying out battle stations, which means every one of us has a responsibility to report for duty and do the job that God has gifted us and called us to do to wear the armor and suit up for battle and do our part in the battle. Now, the thing that's interesting is that when we talk about, you know, spiritual warfare and, you know, the the cosmic conflict that's around us, when we think about all this kind of stuff, all of us go, well, yeah, I struggle with temptation. I struggle with this or that temptation. I've got this issue in my past that I'm wrestling with and trying to overcome the the trauma of that, the grief of that, the pain of that. Uh, I've got a relationship that's really painful and difficult or relationships that are painful and I'm struggling through, you know, trying to reconcile and, you know, deal with persecution, deal with, and and I go through these hard things in my life and it's easy to say that's that's my spiritual battle. I go through these struggles. But what you and I fail to notice so often is that what you're struggling with is part of a greater conflict. It's part of a bigger conflict. And we think that all I'm doing is, is fighting with this guy that's right in front of me or these forces that are right in front of me and I've just got this battle and I just have to focus on this, my grief, my temptation, my pain, my suffering, my persecution. I just focus on that and that's all I see. We almost get this tunnel vision type of thing. But what Paul is trying to say here is that the sufferings and the challenges and the temptations and the trials that you and I are going through now are part of a wider universal conflict as the forces of evil are arrayed against the forces of good and righteousness and they're doing battle. And you and I are in the middle of that. And if you and I say, 
I don't need to fight because that's the pastor's job or the missionary's job or the elder's job or my Sunday school teacher's job or the people that volunteer to be my growth group leader. That's their job. I don't have to be alert and I don't have to be involved. You're wrong. You're hurting your team. You're a deserter if you do that. You need to report for duty. You need to respond to His call. We do. We have to respond to His call to man our battle stations and put on the armor and execute the plan, the general orders that He's given us to fight against what's evil in this world. So, I just, I just want you to notice this, is that if, you, if you're a follower of Christ, you've joined His army. And, and that's not an optional thing. That's not, I follow Christ and I get to do the fun stuff like go to the great cool Bible study and learn all these great things from God's Word. But, but I don't really have to fight to advance the gospel and share the gospel. I don't have to do the fight of volunteering in a, in a public school to help kids read. I don't really have to do the fight of, of really working to make my marriage better because I'm learning all this cool stuff in my Bible study. I, I go to these worship services and I really love the singing and I feel such an emotional lift when we do that but this says that if I am following Christ if you are following Christ we are members of his army because it all flows together you can't just cut off the end of chapter 6 in Ephesians not only are you a member of his family not only are you gifted by his grace not only have you been saved and made a member of his family and made a member of his of his um, kingdom not only are you seated in the heavenlies and gifted in all these ways, but you are a soldier in His army. All of us are called to man our battle stations. Now, if you think about this, if, it's, if you are a soldier in His army, that means, you know, joining Christ's army means that you're fighting against spiritual enemies. <laughs> that, this is where it gets a little difficult and tricky and sticky, Okay? If I'm in his army, oh, that sounds great, but, but I'm fighting against spiritual enemies, supernatural enemies. And we have to acknowledge that and accept that we are in the middle of a conflict that's not against flesh and blood, this passage says, but against all kinds of spiritual powers that occupy the unseen world but very real world around us. And so, we're told to, to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Verse 10, we're told in verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The word scheme there is a, a word that just simply means his cunning, his trickery, his strategy, his plans. What this indicates to us is that these supernatural enemies that we're fighting against, they're highly intelligent. They put a lot of thought and preparation and planning into tempting you and tricking you and deceiving you and leading you astray and leading me astray. And they're doing this. They're diabolical. Well, of course, they're of the devil. But they're out to get you and me. And they're playing for keeps. The stakes are very high. They have a strategy and plan that they're executing with precision and discipline because they're fighting against you and they're fighting against me. It's, in some ways, this is what I feel like. 
It's like the nine and ten year old little league team, you know, down in the minors at the, the local little league team, going against the world champion, you know, name the team, Houston Astros this last year. And they're the best of the best in Major League Baseball, playing these little nine-year-old kids that have to have the short base pass and, you know, they can't pitch from 60 feet because they can't get the, the ball hits the ground by the time it gets to home plate. And, and, and that's what we're like. We're so weak against an enemy that's so powerful. He goes further and unpacks it even more. He explains, 4, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. I like how the thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. This is very eloquent in the King James Version. He's talking about those first two words, basically talking about rulers and authorities. They're just... Excuse me if I can say it this way. They're typical average run-of-the-mill demons. They're the authorities. They're influencing. They're, they're involved behind the scenes of stuff that's going on. Can I just say it this way, not to scare anybody or spook anybody? Certainly not you, Ilona. But there, she's working at a camp, and there's people that are persecuting her and resisting her efforts to try to share the gospel with the children. And you could say, well, they're just grouchy, crabby people. They're just selfish, egotistical people. They're just power-hungry, trying to dominate and be in control people. I'm trying to tell you that there was a demonic force behind all of that. Okay? I'm not saying they're demonized. I'm not saying that they're possessed. I don't mean that at all. I don't think they are. I just think that as they use their sense of intelligence and their sense of entitlement and their sense of power and authority, they're just playing into the devil's hand. And that's often what's going on in government and leadership and institutions, whether it's in the military or churches and religious organizations and such. Corporations and schools as well. Any kind of organizational structure. There are demonic powers that are influencing and involved and controlling and manipulating and deceiving those groups of people. Just as they can oppress and deceive an individual, they can oppress and deceive organizations of people, groups of people. He says not only are there authorities and not only are there rulers, but he says against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Where cosmic powers is, is literally a phrase that we don't see often in Scripture. In fact, it's not there at all except in this place. And it's very seldom seen in any of the other religious literature like the the, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and other places like that. It just is a word that literally means world powers. World powers. But where you do see it is in a description in pagan writings and describing the different gods and goddesses and deities that people would worship. In Ephesus, where Paul, the Christians live that Paul is writing to, they had over 50 plus deities that people would worship, gods and goddesses that people would sacrifice to and serve. And so what Paul is trying to emphasize here is much like we read in the Old Testament that says that yes, there are idols and we know that those idols mean nothing and we can just ignore them, but there is a demonic force and power that's organized behind those idols. 
deceiving people, leading people astray, duping the worshipers of that idol, making them think that they have an ability to control that idol when really they don't. So when we look at all the different religions and philosophies, dogmas that are operative in our world today that people live their lives according to and worship and follow the different gods and goddesses of our world, whether it's money, sex, and power, or it's the different religions that are anti-Christian and anti-Christ, or the philosophies and and, uh, religious ideas of our age, all of those have demonic powers that are animating and orchestrating the teaching, the explanation, the propagation, and the, the actual execution of those philosophies in our world. There are demonic powers behind all this. You and I can say, oh, you know, it's just those people are ignorant. And it's not just ignorance. That's part of it. But there's actually a spiritual force working through that philosophy, through that religion, through the ideals, the principles that that company, that school, that church, that religion, that club operates by. And he's saying that these spiritual forces, these world powers are working behind these different groups. And they're working in this present darkness. And it's a reminder that these are not forces for good. These are actually forces for evil that don't want to encourage the light of Christ to spread, but they want to dampen it. They want to put out the lights and stop the spread of justice and good. They want to see evil be promoted, people living for themselves. And a lot of times we think about, oh, you know, it's like those Satanists putting that, that statue of the goat god up in front of the Alabama, you know, or Arkansas Supreme Court, uh, the courthouse, state house. And, you know, oh, those people, oh, they're definitely Satanists. It's, it's bigger than that. And it's more subtle than that. Because it could be the very respectable religious person that lives next door to you. And it can be the very respectable and influential industrialist or, or um, wealthy business owner near you. It can even be in your own heart that we allow ourselves to be influenced by these wicked philosophies of our age because they seem so right and they seem so natural. And he says, we're wrestling against, yes, these demonic powers. Yes, against these spiritual world powers. Yes, we're even wrestling against, and this seems to be in verse, the end of verse 12 there, the, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And I think he's just simply saying there, it's a summary statement of all the demonic powers, all the satanic powers that are arrayed against us. They're really just spiritual forces of evil, of wickedness that try to promote and lead us astray to deceive and hold captive people that don't belong to Christ, to deceive Christians in thinking they don't need to serve. These spiritual wicked, wicked forces are operating behind the scenes in the unseen realm. And that's what the idea of heavenly places is. The unseen world that's just as real as the world that you and I inhabit. That fourth dimension, fifth dimension, that, that world that's unseen but very real. You can't smell it, taste it, feel it, but it's there. And it's working, deceiving, lying, 
cheating, prompting evil and wickedness in the world that we live in. And the thing is, notice what it says at the beginning of verse 12. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So the enemy's not the Democrats. To all my Democratic friends, the enemy's not the Republicans. The enemy's not those gosh darn liberals. The enemy's not those head stuck in the ground conservatives. The enemy's not a political party. The enemy is not an adherent of a religious ideology. The enemy is not a person of a different color or background or faith. The enemy is not flesh and blood. The enemy at that camp that Ilona served in was not the people that opposed her. They were not the enemy. The enemy is the spiritual powers animating and motivating all that resistance. The people that opposed Ilona were prisoners of the enemy. If you're a Christian and you're listening to this, this message, this passage is saying you need to report for duty. Battle stations has been sounded. Red alert. Get to your battle station. DEFCON 5, we're at war. And you need to report for duty. If you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, this passage is just simply saying you're a prisoner of the enemy and you need to be set free. And only Christ can do that. They're not the enemy. They're the prisoner of the enemy. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against these spiritual forces. I need to point out to you that that word wrestle, all the other words that Paul uses in this passage are military terms, but this is a term from athletics. For we wrestle. And it simply means, according to the original Greek, the word wrestle there means wrestle. Or as my pastor, back when I first began in ministry, he liked the WWF, he said they wrestled. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against these spiritual forces. It's it's the idea of hand-to-hand combat. You know, it's it's easy when you know the president in the Oval Office gives the command and there's a battleship in the middle of the ocean that can shoot a missile and it flies a thousand miles and bombs a target. But you know, eventually somebody on the ground has to go in and clear out the house that's full of the snipers and the terrorists. And it's dangerous and it's bloody. It's frightening. At any moment, you could drop dead because of the enemy getting the upper hand. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to wrestle in hand-to-hand combat, if necessary, with these forces of evil. And that's what it feels like when you're wrestling with temptation. And that's what it feels like when you're wrestling with the trauma and the hurt of your past, the grief that you're carrying. That's what it feels like when you're in the middle of a very broken relationship and you know you need to be the peacemaker and you're trying to make it right. You're trying to forgive and forgive again. It's like hand-to-hand combat when you have a friend, a loved one that you care very deeply about and you're trying to share the gospel with them and you're trying to pray for them and you're trying to help them meet Christ. And maybe they do stuff that just annoys you, irritates you, and you're thinking, forget them, they're a jerk. 
We would never say it out loud, but we're thinking, go to hell, buddy. We would never say that, but that's what we wrestle with. Hand-to-hand combat. That's what it means to live the Christian life. That's what it means to follow Christ because if you're following Christ, you're in His army. And if you're in Christ's army, you have supernatural enemies. And it requires wrestling. Fighting. Not asking somebody else to do it, but doing it yourself. Fighting for what's right. But fighting against supernatural enemies also means we need God's power. We need to suit up with His power. Because we are like those 9 and 10 year olds on a Little League baseball field playing against the world champions. We are this, this army of people who are just ordinary citizens. We're not super spiritual giants. We're not great heroes and heroines of the faith. But here we are trying to live the Christian life and work our jobs and raise our families and love our grandkids and be a good neighbor. We're trying to do all that and it's hand-to-hand combat with these great spiritual powers that are out to destroy us. We're wrestling with them. But I'm here to tell you that this passage says that if you and I put on the armor of God, we put on God's power. And we can stand and withstand and stand aggressively against every force arrayed against us. Look what he says. Therefore, And he's repeating what he said in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let God's power and strength strengthen you. That's kind of like the summary statement of this whole section. You need God's power. You're called to battle, but you're weak. You're humanly weak. I'm humanly weak. I'm spiritually insufficient. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough, intelligent enough, brave enough. To resist the enemy and stand for what's right and advance the kingdom of God. I can't do that. So that's why he says then in verse 13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Put on all the equipment that a Roman soldier would wear. Show the next slide, Frank. Here are some reenactors from over in Eastern Europe, and they made this armor for themselves. And you'll notice that there's a big shield so don't think these little shields that look like a trash can are going to do the job. It's not. You need a big shield. And it's got iron and things on it. And look at the little swords. We'll talk about why it's a little sword, not the big broad sword like in Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. You can see the breastplate covering the chest and shoulders. You can see the belt that's in front. You can see the, the leather shoes that they're wearing. You can see the helmet on their head. You can see the pieces of armor that Paul is talking about. We'll look at that picture again next week. But what he's saying is put on the whole armor of God. Put on all the equipment that God is giving you. And as we look through the pieces of armor in verses 14 and following next week, we're going to see that it refers back to all kinds of things that Paul has been talking about in the letter of Ephesians. God's truth, His righteousness, the righteousness we have in Christ, the faith that we have when we trust in Him, the the salvation, the hope that we have that guards our head and our mind and our thinking, the sword that is the Spirit, the Word of God, the shoes of the preparation, the equipment 
of peace to advance the gospel and to stand firm in the peace of God and not slip and fall. This equipment, very picturesque way of describing God giving us everything we need in Christ, all of His power. The thing is, he's saying here, you need to put on God's power. Let His power strengthen you. And the picture is, is will you put on His power by putting on this armor and letting God's power fill up more and more and more of your life. Now, every time I've read through Ephesians chapter 6 and and thought about the armor, I always thought this was the kind of image that was in my mind. This, This armor, this equipment that a Roman soldier would carry. And the thing that's interesting is that Paul doesn't say anything about, and these guys, they just have hairy legs. You don't see any of the the shin guards that a Roman soldier would typically wear, the greaves that would be protecting their shins and stuff. And they also would be carrying two javelins in the back that they would actually throw at people, the pila. And those aren't referenced either. So I'm not sure that Paul is saying it's just, you know, I'm just following and thinking about what a Roman soldier wears. I think he's thinking about something bigger. And there's something bigger that Paul is, is thinking about when he thinks about God's power being made available to us is this. When you read in your Old Testament and you come to the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he portrays God and then later the suffering servant, the Messiah. In several cases, that suffering servant is a, is a warrior. And he comes and he fights and he speaks and his mouth is like a sword. And he's clothed with righteousness and he has truth and faithfulness around his waist. And he comes and he conquers the enemies of the people of God and he advances the kingdom of God here on earth. And he's doing all that for the glory and honor of God. He's a warrior that's come to fight. And Paul, I think, is taking this analogy this picture of God as a warrior, and he's saying, you're using His power. His his armor is your armor. You're putting that armor on. His power is available to you. His strength is available to you so you can stand up and resist any and every foe that's arrayed against you. You don't have to be intimidated or frightened by them anymore. Because you have God's power. You don't have to go run and hide and say, I just don't want to really report for duty. don't want to show up for battle because I might get shot. I might get hurt. Temptation's too strong. It's too hard to be a witness. No, you can report for duty because God's power is there for you. The power to comfort you in your grief. The power to help you heal from the wounds of your past. The power to help you overcome and say no to temptation and yes to what's right. The power to reorient and reprogram your thinking so that you're thinking godly thoughts that honor Him. The power to speak up and stand up and show up to be a witness for Christ. The power to love and forgive and to show patience with those that are unloving and impatient and ungrateful toward you and me. We prepare for battle by putting on God's power. And since we have these spiritual, supernatural enemies, we need to put His power on. And we put it on by putting on His armor. Now Christ, you're probably thinking, now wait a minute, I thought Jesus defeated our enemies and He did. 
when Jesus was hanging on the cross and when he breathed his last, he actually defeated the devil at that moment. And when he came up out of the grave on Easter morning, that was the proclamation of victory that he had conquered sin, death, and the devil once and for all. But what we have going on is a guerrilla warfare. These skirmishes that you and I are going through in daily life. Yes, the main force has surrendered to a degree, but they're on the run and they're still engaged in this guerrilla warfare against God's church. The church that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. That's a church on the march. That's a church advancing and the enemy is in retreat. The devil is a liar and makes you think that the devil's winning. The devil is a liar. He makes you think that evil is spreading and becoming worse. And the news media, on the left and on the right, they fan the flames of that and they stoke our fear and we think that we're being defeated when the opposite is true. We're actually advancing. But we have to report for duty and suit up in God's armor and the battle can be won in our daily life. If Jesus defeated the devil at the cross in the empty tomb, why are we still fighting? Because it's an opportunity for you and I to share in His victory in our daily experience. Not just that He won the victory for us, but we get to be victorious. We get to share His righteousness. We get to share His faith. We get to share His power. We get to experience what it's like to be victorious on the battlefield ourselves. We share His victory. And that's why He's allowed us to stay here on earth to set free those who are held captive by the enemy. To tear down the strongholds of sin and lust and greed and bitterness in our own lives. To tear those strongholds down to bring in His kingdom, to allow His kingdom to come and His will to be done in our lives, in our families, in our church, and in our community. We can't fight the battle and win on our own. But we can fight the battle and win when we put on God's power. When you follow Christ, you join His army. When you join His army, you have supernatural enemies. When you have supernatural enemies, you have to put on God's power and you will win. You will stay standing. That's what he's saying at the end of verse, verse 13. And when you've done everything, you'll be able to withstand in that evil day, the day of temptation, the day of trial, the day of testing. It seems so evil, like victory is, is lost. It actually can be won if you put on the power of God and allow Him to empower you. You'll be able to withstand in the evil day and when you have prepared and when you have fought the fight, you will still be standing victoriously advancing against the powers of darkness. Put on the power of God by surrendering to Him. Put on the power of God by surrendering to the truth of His Word and allow His power to fill more and more of your life. Maybe you thought, you know, church is just something I do on Sundays. Let it spill over into Monday and Tuesday and the rest of the week. Maybe you thought, well, it's only when I have my quiet time that I need God's power. Or when I'm witnessing, I need God's power. Or when I'm tempted, I need God's power. But what about in your marriage? Can you unleash God's power there? 
What about in that big temptation that nobody knows about, that big habit that you're struggling with that nobody knows about? Have you ever thought about asking God's power to come into that situation? Maybe it means asking someone else to come and help you fight the battle by asking for their accountability, asking for their help. Let them encourage you and coach you. But to experience the power of God requires that we surrender to the call to battle. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything that you ask or think according to the power that raised Jesus from the dead that works in you. Let me pray with you. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this great privilege of being in your presence today. I thank you for blessing and protecting my church, our church while we were away. I thank you for the work that's going on in our midst. And even when we're grieving, your power is there to comfort us. And even when we're struggling, your power is there to help us. And even when we're seeking to do what glorifies you and spread your gospel, your power is there to embolden us and give us wisdom and clarity to speak up. Thank you. Thank you for this. Lord, thank you that we can share the victory of Christ in our daily experience when we put on the power of God in our battles. Lord, help us do this. We pray it in His name, our victorious Savior. Amen.